Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. I'm so excited about this message and what God's put on my heart because before even speaking to anyone on, on the prayer team or on the host team or others, people were speaking the exact words that were on my heart to share with you this morning. And I thought, God, you're, you're at work. You're, you're doing something. And so it is a real pleasure to be sharing these things with you this morning. But I want to start with a bit of a story because I love doing that. A few years ago, uh, I was at the, the ECA, and I love the ECA, and I was there with my family, the wider family, the, the whole clan was there, and my brother-in-law, Obi, some of you know him, and uh, it's just a great guy. I love an Obi story. He, he had never been on an amusement ride in his entire life, and I, I was shocked by this. He'd never, never in his, once in his life, and uh, we were there with the whole family, the kids, everyone's running around, and and uh, we had bought these giant novelty-sized turkey legs, and we're chewing on them, we're looking at them, we're looking at these rides, and, and uh, we're looking at one of those rides, it's one of those big loop-to-loop ones where you, you strap yourself in, you get swung upside down along the way, and Obi's looking at it like, wow, this is amazing. And uh, I finally look at him like, Obi, this is our moment. Obi, we, we've got to do this. We got You've never done this before? We're going to do it. Let's do it right now. And of course, Obi's like, a bit reluctant at first. He's like, no, that's crazy. And, but soon I was persistent, and soon we're, we're there. We're sitting side by side on this giant loop-to-loop, throw-up sort of ride. And, and we got on, and, and, uh, and the family was cheering down below. And uh, fear caused Obi to have what I would like to describe as a racial transition. Uh, if you know Obi, he's a, a born and bred Nigerian. He went white as a ghost. And he kept asking pretty good questions like, uh, uh, how are we not going to fall out while we're being strapped in? How are we not going to fall out? And he goes, we're really tall, Ryan. What if our legs kind of come around and drag along the edge at the bottom? Like, that, that, what's going to happen there? And uh, before I could answer, it was pretty hilarious. The, the, the ride launched, and we're hurtling through the sky together. And right away, he starts screaming. I thought he had lost his mind. I thought he had lost his mind totally. He began laughing hysterically. His legs were kicking with joy. And every time we would come around in, in that big giant loop and we pass our family, he would give personal updates along the way, just how his personal status updates. He's like, look at me, I can fly. Uh, he, uh, and, and, and at one point he actually said, take a picture. We're actually, this is so powerful. That's a line he always says, this is so powerful. At one point, uh, and, and I don't know if this has ever happened to you in your life, you ever have a moment where things just, like time starts to pause, and you just remember a particular moment? I had that moment with Obi as we were hanging upside down at the very top, and I remember looking at him, feeling very nauseous and regretting the novelty-sized turkey leg. <laughs> and I, I said, Obi, aren't you scared? And with the biggest grin on his face, he responded, yelling back, I'm terrified, but soon it's going to be over. And I think there's something true about this and what he says in our own life, in our own following of Christ. 
And the Apostle John, he pens this book called the Revelation to a persecuted, terrified at times church saying these words, whatever may come, remember the joy of our destination. That our lives might be upside down, our stomachs in our throat, we might feel out of control at moments or terrified. But the presence of God is with us. And when it's over, John reminds the church in chapter 22, 4, we shall see his face. We shall see his face. And this morning I'm asking this question, do you know the joy of our destination? In such a tumultuous year, a, a, a year where there's been so many things happening in our world, do we remember our calling, the cornerstone truths of our lives? And even here at River Life, our, our, our name is significant in the way it's been chosen. River Life, because from beginning to end, this, this biblical narrative uses the image of a river to represent God's life-giving presence with us. In Genesis, we hear of creatures and trees flourishing along Eden's river. And when the prophet Ezekiel, who was living in painful exile, spoke, he envisioned a river flowing through from God's temple into a barren desert which would then spring to life. He's using poetic language to share a simple truth, to encourage his listeners that like a river, the promise is of God is that his presence will make new life emerge even from death, even from a desert. And Jesus took this imagery even further. In John 7, 37, he says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scriptures has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Come. Anyone who is thirsty, anyone not satisfied with what the world offers, that there must be something more, come. And living water will flow from within. This is God's presence within us. And it's echoing Eden, but now this restored relationship with God points towards something even better, something greater. See, through Jesus, this ancient poetic promise is taking root in our real life, in reality. And his miracles were a foretaste of the joy-filled destination where the blind see, the lame walk, the dead rise, the brokenhearted restored, the mentally ill made well, the lost come home. And we may wonder, how will this be? How can we experience this? How can we get to that destination? Jesus says, come, come to me. And this river theme of God's life-giving presence continues all the way through into the final book of Revelation. Well, its author, John, paints a picture of a garden city, a river flowing through the heart of its main street. And the imagery pictures God with his people, heaven breaking into earth, and a world flourishing with life. Do we know the joy of our destination? Because that's what I want to remind us of this morning. Before I enter into the core passage of Revelation, I want to build a context for what must be the most misinterpreted and misunderstood books of the Bible. So whenever people have bad theology, bad behavior soon 
follows. People start seeing things that were never intended in the author's mind. Start making predictions about world-ending dates, seeming to forget along the way that even Jesus said that no one knows the date but the Father. Making sense of Revelation means we must learn to appreciate John, its author, not only as a pastor and not only as a preacher, but as a poet. John reminds his audience of truths that are already known in Scripture, except now he's doing it in a new kind of way. He's weaving together images and ideas uh, the original audience understood without the confusion that so many experience today. Theologian Gordon Fee writes, John sees everything in terms of Old Testament fulfillment. Every significant moment is imaged almost exclusively in Old Testament terms and language. Eugene Peterson goes on to say, Revelation has 404 verses, though in those 404 verses, there are 518 references to earlier scripture. Everything in the book of Revelation can be found in the previous 65 books of the Bible. Revelation adds nothing of substance to what we already know. The truth of the gospel is already completely revealed in Jesus Christ. There is nothing new to say on that subject, but there is a new, exciting way to say it. And so if there is nothing theologically new in this book, why did the Spirit move John to write it at all? Well, the answer is this, in short, to excite the praying imagination of a persecuted church, to refresh and encourage the Christians, people who are going through difficult times, a world in chaos. That's why he writes it, to encourage. See, in 95 AD, when John is writing, he saw that Rome was in a violent collision course with Christians in that empire. It was gonna get rough, and he could see it. Caesar was claiming to be the son of God, and he was demanding people would worship him as Lord and Savior, refusing to go along with Roman culture meant extreme persecution and even death. Refusing to go along meant that your life was gonna be changed forever. John already had felt that pain. He was exiled to the island of Patmos, which is where he's writing this book. And he's been done, that's been happening because he's been preaching Christ. And now as an old man, John sets his face towards Rome and he writes this letter to the church essentially saying this, not Babylon, not Rome, nor any empire can stand in the way of God's kingdom. Whatever suffering you might be experiencing, remember the joy of your destination. And John knew it was true. You could imagine him as an old man sitting on this island, reflecting on his life and his lived experience. Time and memories with Jesus in real life, walking, talking, eating around the table. John remembering the crucifixion where blood flowed out like a river when the spear entered into Jesus' dead body. And then a resurrection that totally changed everything. 
That's how John can confidently call out while in exile, while going through extreme persecution, saying, Rome, your days are numbered. The true king is coming. And what that coming looks like of our true king, he writes about in chapters 21 and 22, and they're some of the most exciting verses you can read of in the Bible. I had one friend who said to me something like this. He said, it feels like a travel brochure offering a glimpse of just how good it's going to be. So this next part involves you. I've given you a bit of a context of of this letter, but I'm gonna read to you selected sections out of chapter 21 and 22, and I want you to do this for me. I want you to get involved in the service. I want you to remember some key things or, or, or sentences that excite your imagination. Because remember, John writes this as a poet to excite the Christian imagination of those going through hard times. This is for us. And so when I finish reading some of these verses, um, I want you just to, to, to think about what's one thing you see in the destination that excites you? What's one thing that you're excited about as you hear it? And because it's a bit of a, an artistic book, um, we're actually going to have a little bit of, of music to play. And I encourage you just to close your eyes and just let the scriptures, uh, just let them wash over you. Let, just listen to them and see what excites you. What do you see in here? So let's do that together now. What do you see in the destination? Put yourself in John's shoes and perspective. Chapter 21, 1 through 7 reads, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne says, I am making everything new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it is wide. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and as high as it is long. And I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, 
and the lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and on the Lamb, down the middle of its great street on the city. On each side of the river stood trees of life, bearing 12, 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. There no longer will be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life, come. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. I want you to take a moment to now to turn to someone next to you and tell them about one thing you see in the destination that excites your heart. Do that now, we'll do that over the next 30 seconds and then I'll rejoin us. Well, there's so much that stands out for me. But I would say that three things in particular, three themes stand out. I see God's life-giving presence in these three different ways coming forward. I see it as intimate, I see it as glorious, and I see it as earthy. What do I mean by that? So observation one, intimacy. 21.2 says, prepared like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. This is a language of covenant, of total commitment of God with his people. This is intimate. 21.15, like a square as long as it is wide. You know, this is actually a, a Old Testament language. This is a temple imagery. And the one place you can read about that is in 1 Kings 6.19, or one of many. It's this one place that has this dimension is this, is this. It's the Holy of Holies. This most holy place that in the temple, God's presence with his people, this is what it is. In the holy of holy, this is a cube. This is the same diameters. But it's saying in this time, in this moment, the place that we could not access in the old covenant, in this new covenant, suddenly God's most, most intimate presence is all over the city. He's totally with us. We can enter this place. This is so intimate. 
22.4, they will see his face. You know, in ancient times, you were not allowed to enter the presence of a king when you were found guilty. Moses, the champion leader in the Old Testament, he longed to see God's face. The psalmist all longed to see God's face, and we're going to see his face. That's the promise. It says his name will be on their forehead. Name has to do with character, that we are good to be made like him in our own character. 1 John 3 says, we shall be made like him, for we shall see him like he is. So it's intimate. The second observation is this. It is glorious. No more tears, death, mourning, crying, or pain. You know, this is... For all the, the doctors in the house, this, is a, this means you're, you're going to be out of work when you get to heaven. You've got no more work. There are no more patients in the hospital. Lawyers, you are totally unemployed. We are all found guilty, but we received the full pardon. But for the first time in history, every musician and artist is going to be fully employed. <laughs> it's going to be a party. You guys have unlimited amount of work. No more death. No more death. This makes me want to sit down. <laughs> what? The very people we're reading about in Scripture, we're going to see them there. Resurrected lives. No more death. We're going to meet Moses. We're going to meet King David. We're going to meet the Apostle Peter. We're going to meet some of our heroes of faith. Maybe, maybe it's C.S. Lewis for you. Maybe it's a, a grandparent. Maybe it's a spouse that you've lost. Maybe it's a child, but he will wipe our tears away, take away the pain, and reunite us in this place of no more death. It's glorious. 21, 23, the city does not need the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light. 22.16, root and offspring of David, bright morning star. Root has this idea of small beginnings, but growing to fulfill a promise. First stars signaling to us that the night is passing and the morning will soon begin. It's glorious. The last observation is this, is that it's earthy. We read of river, Trees, leaves, fruit in all seasons, gems, gates, streets, and it's pointing to this. It's pointing to a real physical new earth, a garden city. And in the middle of that city, a river flowing with life through it all. River life. And the reason why I want to explore those passages together in that corporate sort of way is because we're meant to see the destination as a community. This is not about one person preaching about it. This is about our shared destination, a family embracing the Father's presence. It's our vision statement because that's our destination. This is for us, not one person. Proverbs 29, 18 reminds that people without vision perish. 
But once again, once we see the destination, we can then begin to align our lives with that vision. It's God's for us. I don't know if you noticed, though, that we have a great destination of joy, but there is a gap between where we are and where we're going. There's a gap, and I feel it every morning. When the alarm goes off early in the morning, my body tells me that we've not arrived, (laughs) right? The nightly news reminds us we've not arrived. Our own personal lives reminds us we have not arrived yet. No church, no community has arrived. And yet, when we see the destination, it's here we can begin to align our lives towards that vision where we can ask, God, what does your kingdom mean for the world I'm living in each day? How can I begin living towards the future here and now? What's the gap? What would it look like when the kingdom breaks in in my workplace, in my home, in my relationships? How can I be a part of that? Because I see it, now I need to align to it. Revelation pictures a future where there will be no more crying, mourning, or pain. So what difference does that make in the way I speak hope to the brokenhearted each day, as I tend to the wounded, as I sit with those who have lost loved ones. It says there's going to be no more shut gates. That's a big thing to say in ancient times, in violent times. No more shut gates. No need to lock the doors when peace is secured in the destination. So how can we act as peacemakers in our relationships, in our economics, in our politics? Crops bearing fruit each month. It's a picture where the hungry will be fed. The communities will prosper. It says the leaves are for the healing of the nations. How can we roll out and distribute healing and care about global issues as much as local ones? How can we have a heart like that? No longer any curse. Justice has to do with setting wrongs to right. So how can we break off curses of injustice that are oppressing people today? See, our lives are meant to bear witness as a foretaste of the coming event. And in a church community, our witness is amplified by one voice, one heart after him. And we could go on exploring the gap between what's here, where we are, and where we're going. But eventually, we need to ask ourselves this. Now that I see the destination, how can I align my life with God's vision towards his kingdom? I'll never forget a lecture I had from a guy named Hans Borsman. And he asked this question about what vision our lives are aligning with. Hans said, are we living for the glitter or for the glory? The glitter or the glory. Roman culture had bought into this life of of chasing the glitter, the sex, the power, the money. They were after things that they thought were going to satisfy them in life, but it never did. It became just glitter. Cheap veneer, hollow, fake. It wasn't real. It wasn't satisfying. But the glory of God's presence that we read of in Revelation, that's real life. 
So are we living for the glitter or the glory? Pursuing God's presence or not? Jesus said we can't serve two masters. There's nothing halfway. Are we living for the glitter or the glory? We see, we align, but then we're invited to move into the river, to step forward in faith. How does the destination of joy actually shape our lives here and now? Jesus described God's presence in us to be like a stream of living water welling from within, regardless of circumstance or trials or trouble, continuing to well forward. And this life-giving river flows into the world even here and now as a foretaste of the destination. The only question that remains is, are we ready to step forward into that river? I know a lot of people who like to comfortably sunbathe by the river. I know I'm tempted to at times. Sometimes we like to test the temperature with our, our big toe, you know, and we think, oh, that's cold. That might cost me something to jump in. But nobody mistakes the look of pure joy of a child who's ready to jump in with open arms. And sometimes you, you might think, oh, it would be tempting to just push some of those sunbathers into the river. It never turns out well. It's not how faith works. It's not how God operates. He never pushes us or forces us. He invites us to come. Come follow me. Step into my plans. Faith cannot be confined to the world of ideas or become a mental exercise. It's meant to be lived out. And we bear witness to this as a church of river life. As we follow him, towards the destination. Are we ready to move and set sail into that river? Because we've been designed with a destiny of joy. We've been designed to step out in faith and to follow in relationship with Him. Can you imagine spending your whole life as a boat and always sitting in the harbor never having the courage to set a sail. And people would come to us and they would say, well, that's a grand boat you've got there. Such a shame she's never been tested out in the sea of life. All day long we're, we're having coffee, talking about how good it would be at breaking the waves, polishing the desk, painting it up. But when we know the joy of our destination, The circumstances of life may not change, but there's somehow courageous excitement, freedom welling within us that moves us into action because nothing will keep us from the beauty of the destination we've been designed for, for living for the glory of God, for his presence in our own life. And the waves will crash, the winds will howl, but we need not cower below deck along the way because we know from Genesis to Revelation, beginning to end, that Christ is at the helm of history, including our own lives today. And so we can sit at our own bow, have our own moment, our own scene when the waves are crashing and stretch out our arms wide 
And people will ask along the way, aren't you afraid? Aren't you afraid? And like Obi said at the very beginning, we can respond, terrified. But it'll soon be over, and we shall see his face. Do we know the joy of our destination? I want us to watch together a little video of someone named Musa who knows what it's like to live with the joy of a destination here and now today. Let's watch it. Mimi Dinango Nimosa Kyokote. I have a passi. A lot of people really ask what kind of disability Musa has and we could summarize it. If really he has a disability, then his disability is having abnormal joy. You know, every day Musa invites us to to actually make choices in life. You can choose to mourn about all the things you don't have, or you can just choose to dance to life and be happy. At least there are certain things you have. Mimi naombanga mungu kwa chapo. Mungu, mungu anapenda sana. Sana kabisa. Ivo. Musa, um, I think, in my opinion, has been created this way and brought to us as a gift. If there are people out there who think and who feel and they are convinced that they have nothing to live for, I would invite them to encounter Musa. 
Musa will tell them, look here, you have everything to, look, to live for. You have a purpose, you, you, you are complete. Everything that has happened to you has happened to you with a purpose, only to make you a better person. And you have everything on earth to live for. Let's pray. I can do so many things, says Musa. I choose to dance to life. Father, we thank you for this story because it reminds us, even in our own story, of what it is to live with the joy of the destination in mind. And it enables us to dance along the way. Father, we choose to dance today. We choose to step out of the safety of a harbor because we've been designed with a destiny, a destiny with you, to follow you and step into the river. And through the storm, maybe experience moments that are terrifying. But today you remind us that we shall see your face. And whatever we may be going through in this moment, even in a world and a season and a time where there is much chaos, we have joy and we can dance. Because we have not arrived, but you will lead us to the destination of joy. Father, I want to pray for all those who are unsure of their destination here this morning that perhaps have been chasing the glitter, distracted, and they sense the inkling suspicion that there must be more. Do you know that even the feeling of being lost has an implication that there is a place you belong? Somehow deep down, you understand that you've been designed for something that you haven't yet experienced. And Jesus says to you, come, come to me and streams of living water will flow from within. You will experience, even here and now, a foretaste of that joy yet ahead. Come to me, says Jesus. Follow me. Don't be content with the safety of a harbor. Follow me for the glory I have in mind. Follow my presence. Keep in touch with my spirit and you will find life, life to the full. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. 
If this podcast has raised any questions for you, contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.